being the 4th of July weekend, I'd like to talk tonight about one of the torments of the heart that keeps us unfree. Fourth of July weekend, of course, signifies freedom and independence, liberation. And so I'd like to talk about anger tonight because it does keep us bound. It does keep us unfree. And I'd also like to talk about anger tonight somewhat as a transition talk. We'll be leaving tomorrow, continuing with silence and sitting and walking tonight and tomorrow morning, but then we'll be leaving and moving back into the realm of relationship, which is sometimes a bit more complicated than sitting alone by oneself and and, uh, following the breath or whatever. So as a transition talk, I would also like to talk about anger. We all have very conditioned ways of working with anger, dealing with anger, and meditation can show us ways or reveal ways to avoid the conditioned, reactive ways that we may have and actually transform anger. Not only being able to react in the ways that we've been taught in our childhood or through the society in the world, but to actually find a way through the practice to transform this very, very difficult energy. In the practice of meditation, we're not only attempting to quiet and silence the mind and the heart, which is, one could say, half of the practice. But the other half is that we're trying to understand ourselves. We're trying to understand ourselves deeply. We're attempting to understand this funny world that we live in. And we're attempting to understand other people as well. So we're attempting in the practice of meditation to understand all energies. And truly, practice is a transmutation. Rather than a transcendence, as those of us who are new may have already found out, that it's not truly possible to transcend anything. It comes back to haunt us in some way or another. Practice is a transmutation. It's taking that which is right under our nose and transforming it. It's using everything we come in contact with, using everything we come in contact with as a passageway into liberation. This is what, as we practice, we have more and more faith and experience in. So anger, of course, is included. For many of us, it's one of the more difficult energies to work with, but that doesn't exclude it from its potential for being a true passageway into freedom, into more 
spaciousness and relaxation and ease and love, love and understanding in our lives. In fact, in a way, it's got even greater potential because it has such a charge around it for most of us. And so a lot of energy is locked up in anger. When we release this energy, more and more freedom and love is available to us quite naturally, simply more accessible and available to us. Many years ago, I was living with someone in an apartment and we had a dinner party and this person did something that upset me very much. And so after everyone went home, we sat down on the couch to have a chat and I began to talk about why I was so upset. And I kept talking and talking and this person didn't understand what I was saying, didn't, didn't believe that I was so upset, and couldn't understand why I was so upset because he thought it was a really little thing. So I kept talking and talking and getting more and more upset because I was feeling more and more frustrated. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was a little bit of a blackout and I found myself hitting him. I found myself hitting him very hard. It was a shock. (laughs) It was really a shock. I had just come from a household in which we had had cockroach prayer circles. We (laughs) We would sit around in a circle and pray for the cockroaches to go away and (laughs) to find some other home so that we wouldn't have to harm them. We We would escort flies out the door, out the window. And out of this kind of orientation to find myself beating up my boyfriend was really a surprise, it was really a shock. Now, what this person did, he happened, luckily, I think, to be bigger than me. And so he grabbed my hands and wouldn't let me hit him, but also wouldn't let me run away, which is what my next reaction was. First of all, there was this blackout, the the anger, then the blackout, then the shock, and then a strong reaction of, I have to get out of here before I hurt someone else. He was the only person in the room. But there was a strong feeling of wanting to run down the stairs, out the door, away really from myself because I was ashamed. And it did not fit my image of myself, not at all, I'll say. It definitely did not fit the ideals that I had for all human beings, including myself. So it helped actually to be held in that way, in a firm and yet kind way, because it allowed me to just sit with things as they were, to acknowledge how I had been feeling, and to not be able to just blindly run away from it. I mean, I would have come back, but still, 
it was helpful to have to stay put in that particular situation and experience the reaction that I was having of shame and to experience the gap between ideals and actuality, which I think this practice is so perfect for pointing out to us. Whether we have an experience like that or not, if we sit long enough, we see that there usually is a pretty strong gap between how we think we are or how we think things should be and how things actually are. And that gap in between being quite painful, being a lot of suffering. We can't hold on to an image of I am harmless. We may have these particular ideas about how we want to be, but to actually come to terms with the fact that each one of us does have the potential to harm is coming to terms with this very powerful energy within. So we can see the gap between our ideals and the actuality without judgment, without condemnation, being able to actually acknowledge wanting things to be different, acknowledge that place of embarrassment or shame or remorse when we're not the way we want ourselves to be. And this, too, is part of working with anger. It's part, very much part, of our practice. In meditation, we can learn how to be with anger, not to always go with it, not to always deny it, but to learn how to accompany ourselves through all energies, anger too. And we can come to terms with anger as it is. What is so important is to know ourselves, is to know all energies. As Nisargadatta Maharaj said, the person that Rodney was talking about the other day, he said that we are slaves to that which we do not know about ourselves. Anything that we don't know about ourselves, whatever energies we're not willing to acknowledge or come to terms with, we are enslaved by. Whereas whatever we know, whatever we are aware of, we are the master of. And then we will neither harm ourselves, nor will we harm others. So this quality of knowing or awareness is the quality that we are strengthening or expanding into in our practice of meditation. Practice does make it harder to avoid ourselves, and this is a good thing because in our practice, our attempt is to be full and real. Our attempt is to be full and real human beings, not to become anything other than what we already are, but to acknowledge fully our true, original Buddha nature. In this particular instance that I was telling you about, 
it was quite interesting because I'm still friends with this particular person, quite close friends. And after this happened, he talked about it as being Zen anger. Now, I don't know about that, because Zen anger seems to me that it's of benefit to all beings. (laughs) But what he meant by using that word was actually very important for me and very healing. He meant that there was a purity behind it, that I was really behind it. (laughs) There was no hesitation. It was immediate. It was an immediate reaction. Or perhaps a responding, who knows, but it was immediate in any sense. And although I would not want to repeat it, definitely not, still, the way that this person treated it was actually quite helpful, because even now when it comes up, he is delighted by it. There's a sense of delight around it, so I never had to um, have the shame be reinforced. It was just there, over with, done with. And this person didn't have to try to act like a victim because he was much bigger than me, so any kind of victim feeling would have been somewhat unnecessary or silly and would have been a way to hurt me. So I found it quite interesting, um, this particular reaction, and I think uh, we can help one another in this way. Um, Instead of reacting in the usual ways that we do to one another's anger, um, depending on how strong it is and how workable it is or how handleable it is, if there's trust in a particular relationship, perhaps we can work with it in a bit of a lighter way. So the big point that I want to make in this talk is that anger is suffering. It's neither good nor bad, and it is clearly suffering. I spoke with a friend earlier today and told her, she asked me what I was going to talk about tonight, and I told her that I I wanted to talk about this, that anger is suffering. It's neither good nor bad, but it's suffering. And she said, that's all you need to say. That can be the whole talk. So I will continue on. But it really will be an elaboration of this because this is, I think, one of the important things we need to learn about working with anger is that if we can see it clearly as it is, that it is not good and at the same time it is not bad, and if we get locked into either one of these ways of viewing anger, we're caught, we're trapped, we're enslaved to its power. Whereas if we can see anger as it is, as suffering, as suffering to oneself and as suffering to others, then we can come about, we can come to working with anger with an open heart and with compassion and with already a certain degree of clarity and understanding. If we look at anger as being bad, a bad thing, it shouldn't be happening, I hate it, I hate it in myself, I hate it in others. Usually what we do with that is we hate ourselves. 
in some way. The anger simply gets directed towards ourselves. And we react in a blind way with denial and repression quite unconsciously. And this can be very possible for those of us with high ideals, which includes a lot of meditators. And it's very, very important, I think, to look at and to acknowledge any bit of anger that one can notice or catch on to. If we do not accept that anger is part of nature, if we cannot acknowledge anger as being an energy, it does create a lot of tension and a lot of pain. And as we all know, it comes out anyway in ways that are very unpleasant for ourselves and oftentimes for others. We might notice if there is a repression or a chronic denial of anger, one can notice sometimes that there's some shortness of breath and one doesn't know why because all energies affect the breath and affect the body. So with anger, that's just something to notice that the breath comes somewhat in a short way and sometimes quickly to notice the stomach area, to notice if the stomach feels kind of sick or queasy. Going to the body is a very good way to notice what our voices are like. Not wanting to be angry, oftentimes our voices reveal what's actually happening. And there can be a clipped tone to the voice or a sarcastic tone. The voice can be overly loud when it's not necessary or, as I'm sure we've all experienced, it can be very, very soft, very soft, too soft to really hear. And that can be a way that the anger is coming out and we're really not aware of it. We also may become aware of times that we're pretending that it isn't happening we have a little bit of a feeling that anger is occurring, but we are pretending in some way that it isn't. And oftentimes, because of our backgrounds or our childhoods, we weren't taught how to work with anger at all. And the best thing to do was to pretend it wasn't happening. My sister, my younger sister, who says it's okay to say this, says that she didn't even know she had any anger until she was about 27. I mean, you know, she had angry words for people and this and that, but she never thought that she was so angry until she was that age. We may notice that it manifests as depression, as a lack of energy. We may notice that there are physical problems if it's really strong strongly denied, that there may be a lack of enjoyment or lightness or happiness in our lives. We may notice resentment and a sense of inner turmoil and a lack of aliveness, a lack of energy, something being stifled in ourselves. So that's if we're locking into anger as being bad. And sometimes this is conscious, and sometimes this is unconscious. I'd like to point that out, too. 
Sometimes our reactions are so conditioned that we react to anger as being bad and not acceptable in a totally unconscious way. We may not even want to be, but there is an immediate reaction of it shouldn't be happening, it can't be happening, and so it isn't happening. And the same goes for anger being seen as good. If we lock into seeing anger as good, which to some degree is a bit of the fashion today, you know, these things change in the world. And used to be anger was bad, and seems like we swung into a bit of anger is good. And now perhaps we're coming out of that a bit too. I'm really just going by these articles in the paper that talk about A-type personalities and things like that, and anger bringing on more heart attacks, and it seems like there's a little bit more awareness. And so perhaps, hopefully, the fashion is turning towards balance and insight and understanding. But we won't hope for that. We have to do our own work. So if one locks into anger as being good, and sometimes one hears, you know, it's really healthy to be angry, it's really a great thing to be angry, let go of your anger, let it, let it be, you know, let it flow, express your anger. Well, I'm not sure. One can, you know, look at any newspaper and notice the effects of anger. And they're so devastating, they're so incredibly devastating that it's really, it really can't be seen as being good. So perhaps we may, because of repression in the past, because of not being able to feel our anger, maybe we go through some kind of a stage where we feel angry, anger more strongly, and then there might be the tendency to call it good so that we can more fully feel it. But hopefully the stage is really short because it's not true. It's neither good nor bad. If one sees it as good, it may easily be indulged in. If one sees it as bad, it may easily be denied or repressed. If one sees it as good, then when one begins to get angry, there can be very easily this sense of self-righteousness, of it's good to express it, it's good to um, put it out. And of course, it is good to express anger to the right person at the right time in the right way. But if there is a sense of heaviness or self-righteousness about it, then it isn't going to have the results that we want it to have, which in our heart of hearts for all of us is more love and more understanding. If we attack, we are going to get attacked. This is very clearly in the Buddha's teaching that actions bring results. Every action brings a result. And of course, if the action is really strongly destructive, it's going to bring a strongly destructive result. A fairly strong example of this was someone that I knew who got into a chronic kind of habit, I would say, of yelling at cars when they, when they cut him off, which is really a common pastime in Cambridge. It's, um, someone said it's very hard to be a bodhisattva while driving in Cambridge. 
it's a favorite game or pastime of people. If you're polite, people do not understand. They are in shock for a while. So this person did, you know, was, was just engaging in this and got very carried away for a while. There was a lot of anger arising in this person at the time. And um, in this one particular incident, he was cut off by someone and he got out of his car, actually, and started swearing at the person. And then the other person, or people, I think, got out of their car and started hitting him. Now, this is a meditator, you know? (laughs) Actions bring results. It's that simple. We don't want them to. We want to be able to move in the way that we want to, and yet it's a force in nature. Actions bring results. There is a Zen precept, which is, do not indulge in anger. And I think it's very interesting. Alice Miller said, if it's very painful for you to criticize your friends, you're safe in doing it. But if you take the slightest pleasure in it, that's the time to hold your tongue. And it's really great. It's very wise because we can really use pleasure when we're expressing anger as a guide. It can really be a clear guide that we're having too good of a time. (laughs) And there's some self-righteousness going on or there's some heaviness going on or there's some delight in the other person's pain or cringing that we don't want to perpetuate. So that little bit of pleasure, or a lot of pleasure, can be a really wonderful guide for us. And we can simply notice that it's happening. We don't have to judge it. We don't have to condemn it and create more anger towards ourselves. This is clearly anger also, as well as directed towards others. But we can use the pleasure we may feel while expressing anger or criticism as something of a guide. If we indulge in anger, if we are locked into anger as being good, we may notice that it can reinforce patterns of anger within us. We may notice that we're actually, by indulging in it, we may find that we are practicing being angry or rehearsing being angry and actually conditioning the mind and the heart towards more anger. We might look and see if this is so. In other words, we might be making it stronger in the depths of the mind. Perhaps there's some sense of release in some aspect of our being, but perhaps we notice in some way, at some point, that in the depths of the heart or of the mind, that it's actually being reinforced. And all of Buddhism is an experiment. So I'm saying all of this from a particular viewpoint for all of us to simply experiment with and find out for ourselves. It's all an investigation and a reflection. It's not put out as being the truth. It's put out as something for each one of us to take up and to test in our own lives to see 
What brings us more happiness? What brings us more suffering? Working with anger is a bit different, I think, in intimate relationships or in very, very close friendships because there is more of a degree of play that's possible or more looseness. Um, It's possible to experiment with anger in a different way than uh, from one car to another, one, one car of strangers to another, because the trust can help so much. With trust, more is possible, and it's possible to experiment more. And I, I see it very much as part of the joy in life, not to be uh, rigid, or I can't say that, or I can't do this, or you know, I can't tease or whatever, but just a very um, sweet kind of, um, of interplay, uh, acknowledging our differences, acknowledging that we're not the same, and how truly delightful that can be. So I think there's, there's more room that we can play around with in intimate relationships or close friendships, in both exploring anger as well as just enjoying the uh, differences that we find in one another in experimenting with anger. This actually same person that I spoke about in the beginning of the talk, I went through a time where whenever he asked me to do anything, uh, he always asked me to do things reasonable, like, you know, wash the dishes after you've eaten kind of thing. I had a very strong reaction, obviously conditioned from childhood, of I won't do it. I didn't always say it, but I would feel this hardness in my heart of don't ask me to do anything, you know, especially a guy, don't ask me to do anything. And I wasn't happy with this reaction, and he wasn't happy with this reaction. <laughs> and, and so what we did, we worked out this thing, and this was an experiment that worked. Every time he would ask me to do something that I didn't want to do, I would just scream. <laughs> but I would really scream. You know, top of my lungs, scream. The person upstairs wanted to know, so we had to explain this to her. (laughs) And it really worked. (laughs) Because we agreed on it. I think if I had just screamed and he was shocked, it would be a problem. But to scream and have it be agreed on, I would scream really loudly. It would release a certain kind of energy. We would laugh. You know, we would crack up because it was so funny. And then I would feel like I was able to do what he'd asked me to do. (laughs) And I'm sure at this point you're wondering why this person stayed with me, beating him up and screaming at him. (laughs) But it actually was a good relationship in in ways. (laughs) We also, though, need to um, look at in all of our relationships, because sometimes we're kinder to strangers than we are to our most intimate intimate relationships. We can be too loose about the whole thing. Um, we also need to look at what is expression, true expression, authentic expression with integrity. What is true communication, that which needs to be said with all the passion that may be there in saying it, and what is verbal abuse? 
Where does it cross over the line and where is it abusive? And this is just an area of exploration for us that we can use one another to see more clearly. Oftentimes simple feedback in this area, if we're open to it, is very, very helpful. There is, luckily, an alternative to either denying and repressing our anger or indulging in our anger. And that alternative is awareness, and that's what we're practicing. And it's a great alternative. With awareness, we can come in contact with a big mind, a big heart, a limitless mind, actually, a limitless heart that can contain whatever it is that's occurring that is bigger than anger, that is bigger than disturbance or turmoil or grief or whatever it is that's occurring. And this is what we're gradually moving into by meditating in our meditative practice. It's there already. It's not something that we're cultivating. It's there for each one of us already. Buddha nature is not something that we are creating or making happen. It's there already. But through the practice of meditation, we know it's there more clearly. We trust that it's there. And we remember that it's there, which is the most important aspect. It is available. When we remember when there is anger to be mindful, to be aware, a little bit of space comes in immediately. It may not feel good. It may feel bad. It may feel like like a lot of suffering. But a little bit of space enters in when we remember to know that anger is happening rather than either repressing and denying or indulging. By the way, a big way that we have of indulging is continuing to feed the various dialogues that we have in our minds about this person said this, and then I said this, and then they shouldn't have done this, and then I said this back. That's a big way that we indulge. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with these thoughts arising, because there isn't. It's totally out of our control. But we do know, or we can begin to know, when we're feeding it, or indulging in the dialogue, or creating more of the dialogue. And so awareness is the way out. Awareness can notice, can be aware of repression and denial. Awareness can know when there is feeding or indulging or creating more of this energy of anger. When we are aware, even a little bit, the anger loses its destructive nature a little bit. And all we're concerned about is a little bit. We're very modest in this practice. And we're not concerned about gigantic things. We're concerned about things changing a little bit. Because when things change a little bit, they change a lot. And so just taking the edge off of the destructive nature of anger, the suffering nature of anger, can really be gigantic.
And then what we need to do is to keep sustaining our attention on the sensations of anger. It's so easy, and we do and we will, fall off the energy time after time again. And so this is where strength of mind or strength of heart or faith or trust come in. Because what we want to do is stay still, is stay in the very center of the energy, is to stay with it as it is, and to see if we can very gently hold this energy of anger without pushing it away and without holding on to it to see if we can very gently hold. Mindfulness does not suppress or deny or judge or reject or try to get rid of. Mindfulness does look after whatever we place it on. It does take care of whatever we want to, it to take care of. And mindfulness keeps it close so that we can understand it, so that there is the possibility of understanding this particular energy. Unawareness of anger conditions more anger. If we're unaware that anger is occurring and we are denying or indulging, what happens is we're making a groove in the mind. And this is where we are right now. There is a certain... You can use that image of a groove being in the mind. What mindfulness is doing is it's easing that groove. It's truly healing that groove. Every time we remember to be aware and awake and present with anger, we are healing anger and we are easing that groove through understanding, not through manipulation or control, but simply through understanding anger as it is. Of course, it's really hard to stay with anger. It's really hard to stay inside with anger. And when we're not staying inside, when we're going outside, is when we're blaming. Blaming is a way of saying that we're going outside of the energy. And we're directing the anger either towards another person or towards ourselves. So blaming takes us away from sitting still with the anger from, in a way, being angry Buddha, acceptance of anger as it is. We are conditioned to compulsively think about what has triggered the anger. This is just part of the conditioning. And so it does really help to simply be aware of this and to be aware that thinking does not help. Trying to figure it out does not help. Trying to get away from it does not help. But being with the entire phenomena helps enormously. Being aware of the entire phenomena helps enormously, which means staying as still as possible and investigating how the breath feels, how the stomach feels. It means investigating sensations of contraction, of burning, burning in the hands, burning in the legs or the face. It means getting to know anger, familiarizing ourselves with anger. And this is a way of staying with it, of staying inside of it rather than going outside. All we need to do, because blaming is conditioned and we have no control over it, 
is simply to notice when blaming is happening. And then once again, to be aware of physical sensations, of mental phenomena, of how it's affecting the heart, of the entire sensation of anger, and to give it as much room and space and care and loving attention as we possibly can muster up, just as much as we can possibly muster up. Every time we get angry can be an opportunity to let the seeds of anger wither if we are aware, if we can bring some degree of loving kindness to anger. It can be a way, an opportunity to let it wither. Whether we feel anger or not, it's there for each one of us. It is a torment of the heart. And so if we can, whenever we do, by chance get angry, and there are so many reasons for getting angry in this world, so many reasons from the past and and current. But if every time we get angry, instead of wasting our energy in blaming, although there may be very good reason to blame, instead of wasting that precious energy that we really need to use for freedom, for purposes of freedom, we can sit with the anger as it is. And in doing so, we can naturally allow the very seeds of anger to wither, to fade away on their own. We can welcome with an open heart. In the Dhammapada, which is some writings of the Buddha, the Buddha said this wonderful statement that Anger never ceases through anger, but only through love. Hatred never ceases through more hatred, through adding more hatred to it, but only through love. So we can respond to that within our own hearts by being with anger with a loving heart. If we respond to our anger with more anger, then we are just perpetuating it. Whereas if we can welcome our anger with an open heart, without locking ourselves into any stance of being, it being good or bad, but just as things are, a phenomena of nature. In this way, anger is transformed. Anger is transformed into peace and understanding and love. Awareness of anger allows for a wise response rather than a blind reaction. More and more as we practice, we come in contact with the big mind that I was talking about before. And more and more as we practice, we're able to care for and hold our anger. Being able to care for and hold our anger is not practice. It's actually the fruit of practice. And this is really important, a really important point. It's what happens because of practice. Practice is when we are noticing that there is, that we are not able to hold anger. That's when we're practicing. When we're noticing we're not able to hold anger, 
we're on the very edge of our practice. And then we want to really practice holding it. Being able to hold it is fruit. So what we want to practice is noticing when it's very, very hard to hold it. And then we can practice bringing an open heart and an open mind to this particular force or phenomena. Thich Nhat Hanh speaks about mindfulness being like an older sister or older brother who can take care of the younger sister or younger brother of anger. So it's as if the older sister is taking the hand of the younger sister the older sister being mindfulness, taking the hand and caring for the younger sister, which is anger, and in this way, guiding and bringing the younger sister to freedom, to transformation. May all beings have openness of mind. May all beings have warmth of heart. May all beings live in love and in compassion. Let's just sit for a moment or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.